This is a Federal News Network podcast. It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. Today is Friday, January 24th, 2020. I'm Jason Breifel from Shaw, Bransford & Roth. We have a really exciting show today. We're talking about fellowships focused on technology, moving the government and the executive and legislative branches, and bringing policymakers together around those issues. I'm excited to have three guests in the studio with us on this important topic today. First, let me introduce Rachel Dodell. She's the co-founder and executive director of Coding It Forward. Good morning, Rachel, and thanks for being here with us. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, next, we have Grace Meyer, uh, the development manager with the Lincoln Network. Uh, Grace, thanks again for being here with us. Thanks. And finally, we have Maurice Turner, uh, a former Congressional Innovation Fellow with Tech Congress. Uh, Maurice, thanks for being here with us in the studio. Thank you. Uh, before we dive into our conversation, I want to remind our listeners that Fed Talk is brought to you by Long-Term Care Partners. Long-Term Care Partners administers the Office of Personnel Management-sponsored federal long-term care insurance program. To learn more, visit them at ltcfeds.com today. Well, before we dive into this conversation, I want to help everyone understand a little bit about your organizations um, and the fellowships that you have. And we're going to talk about the why. How did we get here? Uh, what were the issues that, that led to the foundings of these groups and these programs? And then we'll talk about the details about them later in the program. Uh, so we'll just go down the line here and, and start with you, uh, Grace. Uh, please tell us a little bit about Lincoln Network um, and the policy hackers. Yeah, so Lincoln Network was founded six years ago in San Francisco. We, our two co-founders were focused on, you know, the different ideas and policy and wanted to bring people together who were also interested in learning about these. So after that, a couple of years later, we started a policy team in D.C. and have realized there's definitely a lack of technical competency in government. So Zach Graves, our head of policy, has been focusing a lot on the Office of Technology Assessment and just increasing technical competency in different sides of government. So the policy hackers is the next step for us. We have this great network in San Francisco working to build a bridge between these two worlds and policy hackers are going to be a way for people who are working in San Francisco in technology, learn more about the civic process and become more involved. A lot of our network have it as a pet project now and are very involved in Twitter and maybe have medium articles, but teaching them more how to really be effective. Great. That's fabulous, Grace. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, Rachel, uh, Coding It Forward and the Civic Digital Fellows. Yeah, so we started Coding It Forward uh, three years ago, almost to the day, uh, where we were students in college who were really excited about the, the work that was happening in the public sector, but found that there weren't a lot of opportunities for entry-level technologists. So we decided to create a nonprofit by and for young people create opportunities and pathways into social impact and civic technology. We've grown pretty rapidly uh, through our Civic Digital Fellowship, which is actually a first-of-its-kind program for young technologists to work in software engineering, data science, product management, and design at federal agencies over the course of the summer. And three years later, we've had over 100 alumni go through our program, and we've worked with eight different federal agency partners to place talent. And this upcoming summer will be our fourth summer, and we'll have about 90 fellows joining us. Awesome. Thanks so much, Rachel. And uh, Maurice, please tell us about uh, Tech Congress and the Congressional Innovation Fellowships, of which you are an alumni. Sure. Yeah. Um, I went through the program a couple of years ago, and uh, Tech Congress uh, was started by Travis Moore. And his idea was that as a staffer, he didn't really have access inside uh, of Congress to those um, technology experts uh, that seem to be available to the outside. And so he decided to start a program to help really inject some technological capacity 
um, into the halls of Congress so that there can be experts actually available to staff um, at the time that he started Tech Congress. Uh, there are only a handful of people with any sort of a technical background out of the thousands of professional staff members um, that work in Congress. And so his idea was to bring in folks from a diverse background, all grounded in this idea that the, they have this ability to be able to speak both technology and policy uh, to be able to better communicate between the two worlds. And so Tech Congress has now entered into its fifth year of being able to place fellows on a full-time basis uh, in member offices or in committee offices. Great. Well, it's it's to me, it's really interesting that you have a, a three, six, and seven-year-old organizations dealing with these technology challenges and issues that I guess have been percolating for a long time, and, and you all saw a need, um, your organization saw a gap, and, and are striving to fix that. And, and some of these are decisions that were made in the 1990s um, by Congress to, to hamstring its own institutional capacity in the name of uh, belt tightening and budget cutting. Um, and I'm just curious if you could each talk a little bit more about that and, and maybe kind of the, the flow between kind of these ideas, because it's it's a, it's a core baseline of ideas based on this need for, for technology and policy literacy and understanding because of how important it is as a foundation for everything that's going on in society. And, and uh... Well, I think we all agree that technology is touching every everything these days. So anything that comes across a congressperson's desk, there is a technolo technological component to that. We've been really focused on institutions and how those can help. Um, we've seen some great efforts from the Government Accountability Office and are hoping to be, they're working to be more forward-looking when it comes to these issues, not just reacting to what's already happened. Um, and we do think that our fellows will be an asset to different government agencies, people on the Hill, when these issues come up. For us, we, we definitely took a student-centric approach. So we really started out of a need that we identified in computer science departments across the country where students were going to work for big tech companies and were rather uninspired by the work that they were doing there and also uh, kind of the broader ethical implications of, of what's been happening in the ecosystem. So that was our initial kind of spark. But then we dug in, did some research, and found out that of the government's 85,000 or so federal IT workers, only 5% of them are under the age of 30, um, which is a frightening number for, I think, everyone on this show today, yes. but also <laughs> something that all of us should be more broadly concerned about in terms of building talent pipelines. So um, that was our inspiration for for building and starting the program and how we, we centered it um, on a technical pipeline and creating an opportunity so that we could field more young technologists into the space and, and fix that problem. Tech Congress has really started as a way to get mid-career professionals uh, into Congress. Um, Congress recognizes that there are uh, certain areas uh, that require expertise. Uh, there are a lot of lawyers on the Hill, uh, and that's for good reason, because uh, Congress, there are a lot of laws that are written, and there needs to be a, a great understanding of, of how those laws work and what are the potential impacts. Um, but there are other programs that bring in expertise uh, where needed. So you have DTLE programs where you can actually have um, folks that work in federal agencies uh, come in for six months, a year, even two years, and bring their expertise uh, to a member's office or to a committee's office. You have the AAAS fellows where you, you have folks um, with PhDs that are coming in and bringing their expertise. Uh, but in what comes to a uh, general understanding of technology and some of the impacts of emerging technologies, uh, there's definitely a, a lack of that expertise, a lack of capacity uh, at the staff level. And so Tech Congress aims to uh, bring in folks to help show a need for that and inspire those offices to start hiring to meet the needs of emerging technology as we see it today. Great. Thanks, Maurice. And I think that that's a, a perfect opportunity for our first break. And, and when we come back from our break, I want to talk more about kind of this, this knowledge gap, the recognition for this need um, across the branches of government and, and get into a little bit more detail uh, around those areas that your groups are focusing on, the issues that uh, your fellows are, have been, or intend to be working on. Uh, we'll be back with Fed Talk after a word from our sponsor. 
Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Uh, we're diving into these big issues around technology and these fellowship programs that are seeking to enhance our capacity in the uh, executive and legislative branches. And uh, Maurice Turner, Turner, who was a Congressional Innovation Fellow with Tech Congress, uh, spent some time in the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, uh, which is a committee with broad jurisdiction across the entire federal government, similar to the Oversight Committee that's more familiar to many folks in the House. And so, Maurice, I'm, I'm interested in hearing from your experience on the inside, the, the issues that you were seeing, the conversations that you were having, um, and kind of how, how, how the, um, your fellowship program and these issues kind of played out from, from that insider's vantage from your experience. Well, certainly it was a, a great experience overall. I appreciated the opportunity uh, to be able to work in the committee office uh, for the majority uh, for the year that I was in Congress. I was there in 2017. And so uh, my goal was to bring uh, my diverse background with different technologies working at different levels of government and also in the private sector uh, to the committee uh, to help build that capacity of understanding some of the issues that we faced um, during that year, um, I helped staff uh, cybersecurity hearings. I also worked on legislation, committee letters, uh, the sort of those nuts and bolts things that you do as a staff member um, that help move policy forward. Uh, because it's not just about passing laws or not passing laws. There are many different levers uh, that Congress can pull, um, whether it's sending a letter um, to an agency or to a company to get more information or holding a hearing to help educate not only members of the public, but the policymakers and other folks in the industry. So for me, it was a great learning opportunity. Um, and so I feel like I was able to contribute um, what I brought to the table and then also learn more about how policy is made. Great. Thanks, Maurice. And, you know, it's, uh, it's you know, the, your fellowship program, the Congressional Innovations Fellows, is, is kind of bringing those individuals in with that, that experience and uh, uh, institutional knowledge. Um, and, and Grace, kind of what you all are doing with the Lincoln Network and your policy hackers is, is kind of the other side, how to focus on the institutional capacity writ large. Um, and I'm hoping you can maybe talk about that a little bit more through, you mentioned earlier, the focus on uh, reviving the Office of Technology Assessment, maybe the work of the Congressional Modernization Committee, other things like that. Kind of how do you see that coming at this issue from the other side, the institutional vantage? Yeah, so we know there are a lot of wonderful fellowships out there that are available for people who are working in technology to come out to D.C. for a year and, you know, start their careers working in public service. And we found through our network that isn't of interest to some of the people, so we wanted to create a different option. So our Policy Hackers is a non-residential fellowship. It is for people early or mid into their career who want to learn more about the policy process. So we're going to be focusing on introducing them to think tanks, to people the Hill, and just learning everything from how agencies get things done to how a bill becomes a law and different ways to be involved in that process. So we believe that, you know, once these, um, once our policy hackers are more educated on these issues, they can speak out because they're the ones that the regulations are going to affect first. They're the ones that are in the trenches still working at these jobs and can be affected the most. So hopefully they will have the insight to affect these changes. Great. Thanks, Grace. And, you know, it's interesting to me that, that, that you know, the policy hackers and the congressional innovation fellows are, are kind of focused on this this mid-career folks with some experience, whereas uh, Rachel, like you mentioned earlier, with um, coding at Ford and the Civic Digital Fellows, they're looking for impact-oriented new professionals fresh out of college or even while they're in school who are 
looking to get into public service because they may not be satisfied with the options that they have in the private sector, whether that's your big technology companies or federal contractors. Um, you mentioned the stat earlier around the really small percentage of uh, federal employees who uh, work in the IT space. And I imagine many of them do work on the outside for the government. But you all are trying to, to address that from, from the other side in the executive branch. Yep. So for, for us, um, you know, government contracting is a big problem uh, where students don't necessarily know that's even an option to become a federal contractor out of college. Um, I think that's the the biggest uh, battle that we're up against is framing a federal government even as an opportunity for students. Uh, I think when you go to a college career fair nowadays, it's a pretty rare sighting to, to see a federal agency and uh, students are really more attracted to other opportunities. And the reason for that is we've kind of identified a few different problems. Um, I think one is the prestige uh, factor. Uh, it's not considered prestigious to work for the federal government, plain and simple, amongst college students. Um, and, you know, when looking at the roles and opportunities that are out there, so many college classes nowadays, you know, m the far majority of them go into finance, consulting, those sorts of careers instead of public service, despite what their intentions might be entering college. I think secondly, uh, there's a really big problem around salaries. Um, a lot of our students can make upwards of $30,000 over the course of a summer uh, working for a big tech company, and the, the salaries in federal government just don't compare uh, to those sorts of opportunities. And then I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around mentorship and professional development, not knowing what exists uh, in this public space and in the federal sector. So our program has, tries to tackle those three problems. Um, there are a variety of different mechanisms. I think one, creating a really exciting fellowship opportunity that is prestigious. We only accept around 5% of our applicants every year. Um, and that makes it a really attractive opportunity for students who are excited about being part of something bigger than themselves. And that's difficult to get into in that sense. Um, we really look at parallels in Silicon Valley uh, fellowship programs as well to, to kind of bring the best of that to D.C. So in terms of a salary, our fellowship is paid. Students get housing and a travel stipend for the summer. We also pay for their public transit. Um, and most federal internship programs are either unpaid or don't have any of those benefits. Uh, and then we also pair all of our students one-on-one -on -one with mentors over the course of the summer so that they can learn more about the ecosystem and make sure that they also have um, you know, the support that they need within their federal agencies as well. So we're trying to kind of flip uh, the, those, um, you know, issues on their head and, and really make sure that we can make federal government as accessible of an opportunity as possible, um, not only from the student perspective, but also framing it as an attractive opportunity from the federal perspective as well. Thanks, Rachel. And, and you know, one thing that just occurs to me in hearing each of you talk about this is that, um, we know that these are highly in-demand skills, regardless of the sector of the economy. You know, I've seen statistics that we're going to have a deficit of several hundred thousand cybersecurity professionals. And there's a lot of efforts in disparate places, whether it's funded by the Department of Defense, the Department of Homeland Security, Education Department grants to ensure that our educational system is creating the talent that we need. But it's at the same time, it sounds like there's, there's a lot of competition for a, for a discrete set of individuals who have these skills right now. And so providing opportunities for them to get involved in different advantages um, that meet the needs of their, themselves and their families to me seems like a really good um, kind of finger in the dike, plug the gap while we build that capacity. And uh, I'm just you know, curious kind of how you, how you all see kind of the growth and expansion of your networks um, you know, is is there a you know peer to peer learning? You know that you're pulling more folks in through each of the networks that your organizations have, um, so that we can kind of scale the change that we need and scale the capacity that we need. I think the fellowship um, concept is one that's interesting because um, it gives folks an opportunity to try out the the policy side of things. So they, they might have an interest in making a difference or a strong desire to make a difference. They just don't know how. They might be sitting at their desk um, or volunteering in the community, but they want to have a larger impact. 
um, and they don't quite know how to do it within their own community. And so the idea of being able to take a break professionally but still use and hone those skills that they have um, and put them to use somewhere else is incredibly valuable. Yeah, and back to what you are saying about the need for cybersecurity, that's something we've heard from our partners in D.C., as in the Bay Area, and just anecdotally through our application so far, that was the number two response on policy areas people were interested in. So AI was number one, and then cybersecurity was number two. So there's definitely interest. I think for us outside of uh, the fellowship, we do have a broader network of students that we engage. So we have about 7,000 students who are in our network one way or another right now online. Um, And on top of providing this fellowship opportunity, we try and advertise as many other fellowships and organizations that are working at these intersections of technology, policy, and impact uh, so that students are aware of the broader ecosystem that exists because I think the first step is really educating them about uh, this intersection. Most people are not familiar with it. Um, and, and making sure that they know that there are opportunities out there. Thanks, Rachel. And, you know, kind of in that nexus between these different groups and different individuals in this space coming together, I know it's been mentioned earlier, kind of a, a, a potential distrust or maybe a real distrust between where technology and technology companies may be going, how that, that those, those tools can be used in government. Are you seeing by bringing those folks together some some bonds of trust um, and information sharing strengthening as opposed to tattering. Yeah, I can talk a little bit about that. So this summer we released our first independent report about fellowship outcomes that was directed by the Partnership for Public Service. And before the fellowship, our fellows were all polled about their thoughts on government. And 47% of them said that government was doing a bad job of running their programs. And after uh, the fellowship was over, only 15% of them agreed with that statement. So just over the course of 10 weeks, we found through our fellowship that there was an extremely dramatic drop of about 30% of our participants no longer thinking that the government was incompetent at at doing its job. Um, And I think for us, that was really exciting because it showed that once you had exposure um, into public service and actually saw what was happening behind the scenes, you recognize that a lot of things that you read in the news and, and see more broadly um, and, and that get most of the airtime are not a great reflection of, of the work that's actually happening. So we're really excited by the fact that we've been able to, to change the mindsets of our fellows, at least. I think that's really important to pick up on uh, is that once you're inside actually doing the work, you recognize just how much compromise is necessary to move any policy forward. Um, you know, it's different when you're in the private sector where you can sort of identify, you know, what are your uh, who are the customers you'd like to reach? Um, and then who are the customers that you're willing to to give up? Um, and so I think when you're in the public sector, it's it's flipped. You have to take into account everyone. Um, and I think that that's, uh, that can be a difficult lesson to learn unless you're actually in the situations where you need to take into account a truly diverse set of perspectives and priorities and craft something that works well enough for most of the people that everyone um, can feel good about moving mm-hmm. it forward. And s- Lincoln being founded in San Francisco, we are always working to build a bridge in whatever way we can between policymakers in D.C. and technologists in the Bay Area. And we have heard from people in our network, and I think a lot of us have seen over the past few years that San Francisco and technologists first didn't want to be involved in D.C. They just wanted to build their things and leave D.C. out of the picture. But now in recent years, we've seen all the large companies come and start, you know, having policy teams and lobbying and all that sort of stuff, which we are focused on with this fellowship, bringing in small to medium-sized companies that are not fighting for entrenched interests. They want to be, you know, focused on the next trillion-dollar company. And it's funny, they they do view the big companies as dinosaurs trying to, you know, stay doing what they're doing, even though in D.C. they're still the innovative, exciting new ones. Well, I think that that's a really interesting point is how fast technology and innovation is moving. And if, if there isn't that, that knowledge, that capacity, that wherewithal, we could be focusing on, on potential kind of legacy platforms or technologies as opposed to looking around the corner and, you know, what's going to impact the economy, what's going to impact citizens next in a big way, and, and how does the government 
take advantage of that appropriately and best regulate it so you don't stifle uh, that innovation, but but in, in, instead enable it. Um, and with that, we're going to take our next break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more in detail about the fellowships and some of the work that folks have been doing on the inside and as they bridge the gaps between policymakers and others on these topics. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. One team working all three branches. Judicial, legislative, executive. Judicial. SB&R employment attorneys offer specialized legal representation for federal managers. Legislative. Lobbyists in government and public affairs advocating for corporate clients. Executive. Produces two free weekly newsletters, Fed Manager and Fed Agent. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth is your one destination for all three branches of government. Online at shawbransford.com. SB&R. Client-focused. Results-driven. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. I'm here with Rachel Dedell from Coding It Forward, Grace Meyer from the Lincoln Network, and Maurice Turner uh, with Tech Congress. We're talking about their fellowship programs of each of these organizations and the efforts that they and their their fellows are or will be uh, bringing to bridge these gaps between critical issues uh, around technology between different branches of government and industry. And been talking about the issues at kind of a big picture level. Uh, I, I wanted to provide our listeners a little bit more detailed information about the fellowships themselves um, and uh, maybe some examples of the types of work or issues uh, that folks who've been in these have have worked on, um, or in the case of uh, the policy hackers um, from Lincoln that they will be focusing on. Um, so maybe. Um, Rachel, we'll, we'll start with you. I know you have, uh, as you mentioned earlier, 100 uh, alumni who've gone through um, the Civic Digital Fellowship Program over the past three years. Yeah, so we're, we're really excited about all of the projects that our alums have worked on. As I mentioned earlier, we've worked with eight different federal agency partners, including the Census Bureau, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, National Institutes of Health, Health and Human Services, General Services Administration, and the VA. Um, and I think that does a really great job of just displaying how many different problems our fellows are trying to solve um, and from how many different perspectives uh, they're, they're bringing to the program. Um, for us, we kind of focus on four main categories, uh, software engineering, data science, product management, and design. And those are the categories that our projects generally fall under over the course of the summer. There's not necessarily a policy objective or a broader objective that all of our students are working on together, but instead they're embedded within their agencies, really trying to bring a business need to the forefront. Um, so all of our agency partners at the beginning of the summer uh, propose projects that they want our students to tackle over the course of the 10 weeks that they really need technical expertise on. Maybe they don't have a developer on their team, someone who understands the process of user research, whatever it might be. Um, so within that broader array of projects, I think there's a few different examples that are really exciting. I'll, I'll talk about one. So we had a student named Christian Muscardi who was with us uh, back in the summer of 2018 and was a graduate student at NYU uh, in, in data science. And he worked on a project at the U.S. Census Bureau helping with the commodity flow survey. So when uh, people export and import uh things into the United States and outside of the country. Um, there's a survey and, and general tracking system that the government has for that. Um, and within that, there is a classification code for which industry the, the business is a part of. And those codes were being checked by hand by people at the Bureau to make sure that they were validated uh, and correlated to the business uh, that was part of the survey. And Christian's work was to essentially get rid of the need for humans to be focusing on 
what was more or less a menial task um, and it wasn't super important for human power to be spent on. Um, so what he did was create a machine learning algorithm that accurately predicted whether or not the code was correct and if it wasn't, was able to, to fix it. Um, and it was estimated that that project saved the Bureau $2 million in 10 weeks just by eradicating the need for human power. Um, that way people could actually go focus on things that we need people power for um, and was able to actually implement that. And the Bureau has been scaling his work to other surveys as well. So the broader impact is probably even larger than $2 million, but we were super excited to see that was accomplished in just the span of 10 weeks. Thanks for sharing that, Rachel. And I think that that's, it's so great to hear a success story like that, that saves taxpayers money, that makes, enables employees who work at the census to focus on not data entry, data cleaning mm -hmm. that a machine can do, you know, instead of digitizing that process, using using better technologies to, to take the human element out of it is really important. And, you know, there's a lot going on in, in the government um, related to the federal data strategy and initiatives under the president's management agenda that seek to scale that kind of activity uh, across the government more. But then again, we also do need those skill sets um, on the inside to be able to identify that that's an issue um, and have something to do about it. Uh, Maurice, I'm kind of curious from from the congressional side in your experience, kind of what's the vantage on on a problem set like one that that, that Rachel laid out or, or, or issues that you focused on, on with your work around cyber? Oh. Well, the great thing is that uh, because tech touches everything, it, it's across so many different domains, um, and the fellows really bring a diversity of uh, experiences with them to the Hill. And so there are fellows that have worked on AI policy, healthcare policy, veterans issues, national security, uh, privacy. Uh, it, it seems like there's the opportunity to um, have an impact no matter which office fellows land in. And so that's uh, that's encouraging uh, because it really does highlight the need for having that ability to be able to speak tech to the policy folks and speak policy to the tech folks. Um, you know, for example, it, it can be as nuts and bolts as uh, trying to advocate internally for helping um, uh, the House or the Senate um, in improve their own cybersecurity, so to make sure that the staff are better protected um, and that their communications are, are kept encrypted. Um, or it could be uh, as wide-reaching as um, trying to have an impact on the cybersecurity capacity of states, so having a, a cybersecurity coordinator at the federal level that would actually interface directly with each state. So there are a number of good ideas that fellows can bring to the table um, if they are uh, able to get into an office. And so I think it's valuable to be able to have these opportunities to make sure that they can bring that perspective into the halls of Congress and bring some of those innovative ideas um, and help move the ball forward. Uh, Great. Thanks, Maurice. And I have a, have a follow-up that, you know, folks who work in Congress, both members and staff alike, have a ton of issues on their plate and there's never enough hours in the day. Kind of what's the, the orientation process look like for folks who are coming into this ecosystem so they know how to get things done, to make, make effective use of their time, um, and to build some of those necessary bridges so you don't have 10 staffers who might not know each other working on the same exact issue and, and actually bring them together? Well, for Tech Congress, the orientation um, can be a little overwhelming, especially for folks that have never been to D.C. So it starts off with, you know, this is the district. Um, this is how you get around. Um, this is Congress. These are, you know, the, the, the halls of Congress are, are a little maze-like at some times. Um, uh, but it helps because uh, having a couple of weeks at the beginning of the fellowship just to get settled and have a better understanding of the lay of the land, so to speak, um, means that you can start your fellowship with a, a level of confidence. So actually knowing where different offices are, how to take the subway between different uh, buildings. Um, but then it also means getting out and speaking with folks who've worked in Congress before, uh, members of civil society, members of the private sector, uh, just people who have an understanding of how sort of D.C. works and, and how that policymaking process works. Uh, because it's ultimately up to the Congressional Innovation Fellows to find their own placements, uh, to sell themselves and their abilities and make a pitch for why it's important and why it's valuable uh, for either a member office or a committee office to have a fellow for a year. Great. Thanks, Maurice. And um, 
Grace, with uh, the policy hackers, I know that you're in the application process now. So what are kind of the issues that folks are intending to look at or that, that Lincoln intends for them to be working around? As yes. So our curriculum is designed to work around the busy schedule of innovators and teach them how to be effective policy advocates on issues focusing on technology. So we're going to have them coming out to D.C. for trainings on, as I mentioned before, everything from legislative processes to how to work with think tanks to um, engaging with the media and some writing workshops. But we want this to be very customizable as our first project. We want these folks um, to come with their greatest asset, which is their background and their experience, um, to this fellowship and be able to customize what they want to focus on. And we will be able to connect them with folks in D.C. working on the same issue and help them learn more about the policy process in general. And one thing that I'm curious about, and you know, maybe this is a seed for a potential project if it is, hasn't happened, um, this seems like a complex ecosystem. Ha has anyone, your organizations or others that you're aware of, sought to kind of map it out and, you know, using social network mapping or other tools like that to find where are those centers of gravity, whether those are policymakers, thought leaders, individuals who can serve as those bridging functions. Kind of, I'm just curious if, if that's a thing, if that's something that's that's been discussed or, or, or thought about so that uh, we can enhance and, and benefit from kind of the synergistic um, discussions that are happening in each of these pockets, whether it be in federal agencies, on the Hill, between policymakers and technologists? Yeah, it's definitely a diverse landscape, which is part of what we're trying to untangle for our fellows, um, understanding what different nonprofits do and who is being most impactful on different policy issues. You know, there's probably 10 organizations talking about X, Y, and Z, but knowing the right folks to be involved in um, is something we're really going to be focusing on. One I think related to that is, um, I think it was um, a policy paper from Lincoln that that spoke to the need for policymakers to have objective information. And when you do have policy organizations, think tanks from across the political spectrum with different vantages, maybe some of them are funded by certain industries, maybe some of them are, are just focused on those issues, it can be hard for those policymakers and staffers. Uh, or um, federal employees, you know, kind of what's what's valid, what's 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 solid, what can I rely on, um, versus what may be trying to, to steer me in a direction or another. And, and Maurice, I'm kind of curious uh, from your experience on the Hill, kind of when when a report or an, an issue comes to you or a lobbyist comes and talks to you, how do you, how did you in the the office that you worked in, kind of consider the information that was put in front of you? So now, I think that's one of the biggest challenges facing staff on the Hill is how to be sufficiently skeptical of anyone bringing you information, uh, but also recognizing that they are the experts. And so they, they definitely know more um, and they're willing to share it, which is a good thing. And I think that's uh, where some of the true value of having a technologist on staff uh, comes in. Having someone who understands the technology just a little bit more uh, and can be a little bit more critical of the information that they're receiving uh, is certainly helpful. I appreciate the opportunity to be able to sit in on briefings and get information that wasn't necessarily available in the public or even just the access to some of those groups or some of those companies um, and their willingness to come in and, and share what they're working on and share some of their ideas of, uh, about regulations or, or some other decisions. And so I think it's it's critical that um, there is a level of technology technological capacity within the offices to be able to take that information on critically and then integrate it into the policymaking process without just taking it wholesale or even worse, not being able to understand um, what's actually behind an issue. Great. Thanks, Maurice. And, and Rachel, I'm kind of curious, kind of same vein of a question, but on the inside of the government, you know, the especially the ratios of, of uh, IT workers in federal government who are under 30 versus who are over 60 is, you know, totally inverted from, from what you see in other sectors. Um, kind of did, were there headwinds challenges that your fellows ran into um, when they're trying to advance their projects um, within these federal organizations? I think the, the biggest surprise for our students and our fellows who go through the program every year is just the need to break down technical concepts for people working in government. 
Most of them are used to working in tech companies, startups, big tech, whatever it may be, where they're on teams of software engineers and developers, and everyone is very much on the same page in terms of the lingo that's used at work. Um, so I think the the biggest surprise that I hear about every single year that we do this program is just the need to be a clear communicator. But I think that's such an important skill for our students to learn early on in their careers because ultimately they're not going to work with only technical people for the rest of their lives. Um, and having the the ability to break down something like what is machine learning? How does it work? It's not just a magical system where the machine takes something in and pops something out. Um, and, and actually having the ability in the frameworks uh, to break down those concepts is really important to us. So that's something we talk a little bit about during our orientation and really encourage our students to do throughout the summer and to take the time to sit down and not just talk about the project that they're working on, but the broader frameworks that they're using and why they have a certain approach to, to how they're tackling a problem. Thanks, Rachel. I think that's a really important point is you can have all the technical acumen or knowledge in the world, but if you can't effectively communicate that to others, help them understand it, um, you, 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 you only can get so far. And uh, as I've looked at and, and understood kind of where the future of work goes, it, it, the emphasis on kind of those human skills, mm-hmm. quote unquote, soft skills, um, becomes even more important because if you, if you ha- lack the, the, the leadership capacity, those communication capacities, um, again, it doesn't matter how, how, how much you know how to write code, if no one else on the team understands what you're trying to do, uh, getting especially senior level buy-in, getting money um, from Congress or from, from senior agency officials becomes even more difficult. Um, well, I think we're going to take our last break and head into our last segment, uh, talking about the intersection between technology, policy, and fellowship programs in the federal government in the legislative branch. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We're in the last segment of our show, talking about technology, policy, and how we're building capacity across the branches of government. And we've been talking about these issues in, in a bunch of different veins, but I want to get into a little bit more detail about the fellowship programs, kind of the application process, what you're seeing out of out of fellows and folks who who are looking to to join and. Um, Grace, let's let's start with you as as you're uh, accepting applications right now uh, for the policy hackers. Yes, applications are open. Um, you can apply at hackpolicy.org. Our fellowship is going to be starting in March. This is going to be our first class. We're really excited about it. And so far, the applicants have had a wide range of people. Everyone from folks working at VCs to the large tech companies to hardware, software companies, all, all over the place. So really encourage anyone who's interested in getting more involved to apply. And they're going to be coming out to D.C. in March to start the process. Fabulous. Maurice? Yeah, so the, the Tech Congress Congressional Innovation Fellowship uh, typically starts the recruiting uh, in the summertime so, so that uh, applicants uh, can be selected and start their placements in January. And so I invite anyone who's interested to visit techcongress.io uh, and take a look at the page, you know, take a look at the bios of the five previous classes of folks. Uh, you'll see a, a lot of diversity, uh, which is something that is definitely been a priority uh, to make sure that the halls of Congress um, can look more like uh, America overall. And I think that that's something that we can all keep in mind, you know, as we're taking a look at trying to solve some of these larger issues, it's really going to take a diversity of perspectives and experiences to tackle them. Um, Because uh, you have to bring to the table um, your own experiences and help influence the policymaking process so that you don't have any major gaps or any blind spots um, when it comes to the decision-making process. Thanks, Maurice. And I think that that's a really important issue. 
you know, we, we talk about, you know, as we use AI more and things like that, how are we building ethics into that system? How, how do we ensure that we do have this diversity of experience and perspective reflected there? Um, it's definitely baked into a lot of um, emphasis that the administration has put and what they've been pushing around AI and other technology areas. Um, and Congress clearly is also interested in it. I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, from the kind of the um, potential distrust between students and, and, and industry if by closing that gap, by addressing those issues together, um, if we can help folks find that, you know, we can use technology for good. Um, if we can get it right here in America, we can potentially prevent adversaries from other areas who are developing similar technologies who want to become the dominant technologies um, from, from kind of putting their values into those systems. Um, any thoughts about that? I think that's an interesting notion about you know, sort of imbuing these systems with uh, American values. It's definitely something um, that our country has a strong history in, and I'd hate for us to give up that, that tradition um, at this stage in the game when there are so many technologies that are created here in America but are truly global technologies. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the United States definitely is in an interesting position uh, to be able to have a greater influence over these technologies and to help ensure that democratic values um, are baked in uh, to those technologies. Great. Um, thanks. And Rachel, you know, I know you guys have had several fellows and classes go through and that you recently had an application class uh, or application process close. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell us some about kind of what that what those applicants have looked like? You said it was a highly selective process and then maybe a little bit about, you know, what, what have agencies been looking for? What are the next steps? And uh, for those who are selected, kind of what are they walking into on the other side? Definitely. So... Speaking about last year's application class, we had over a thousand students apply from 250 universities and colleges across the country from truly a broad range of perspectives. Uh, in our fellowship cohort, we had everyone from a music major to an anthropology major to data scientists, computer scientists, et cetera. So these students really bring a broad range of academic perspectives to the table and to the forefront. Um, I think the other important thing to note is that all of our fellowship cohorts have also been majority female and majority people of color, which is extremely rare to find in the tech industry. Um, and I think also in D.C., our, our federal agencies sometimes don't reflect those uh, numbers as well. Um, so that's something that our team has been very excited about in terms of building and scaling the program. Like you mentioned, we did just wrap up our last application process uh, this December uh, and have been working on interviewing uh, students for this upcoming summer. So we're extremely excited to, to move them to the next step of the process, which is our agency matching process. So uh, just as students apply to us, our federal agency partners submit projects that they're interested in having students tackle, tell us a little bit more about the technical problem statement, languages that they might expect a student to know. Uh, and so we're going to begin that process starting early next month, uh, where students will have an opportunity to learn more about the work that our federal agency partners are doing. And then they'll start this summer in June uh, is, is when we anticipate that they'll arrive in D.C. and actually have an opportunity to, to get started. Great. And just to, to build on that a little bit more, Rachel, so there's agency champions, leaders who already have projects or ideas. Do they Are they required to have those at the front end of your process or are you all sort through the applicants first and then and then you see who's lined up on the agency side. Sure. So we do generally require at least an idea of the types of projects that agencies would like to tackle. That way we're able to recruit uh, specifically for those projects and our applicant pool is, is fairly aligned with the outcomes that they're hoping for. So we generally begin talking with agencies in October of the year prior to, to when they're looking to start hiring. And the reason for that um, that I'm sure many of your agency listeners know about is procurement uh, can take a, take a while. Um, and so the way our program works is through a contracting uh, partner. So all of our, our students are federal contractors for the summer. And we generally work from October to December uh, on that procurement process with our agency partners and then have them submit uh, their projects in early January. That way we can get a good idea of uh, 
you know, what we're recruiting for and, and looking for in our candidates uh, over the winter months. And then going into the summer, um, obviously, they're more than welcome to adjust those projects a little bit. We know sometimes prioritizing and planning six months out is, is not super realistic. Um, and so we make sure that, that students have a good idea of how those projects are, are formulating and changing. And then uh, over the course of the summer, working with our agency partners to, to spearhead those. But um, all of our, our agencies generally have a, a CTO or CDO, CIO, um, one of the, the main executives that is really invested in our program and does a great job uh, internally recruiting different departments and, and folks uh, who are interested in hiring. Great. Fabulous, Rachel. Well, we were, we're in the, the final few minutes here, and I just want to make sure that, that each of you have a last opportunity to let folks know where they can get information about Coding It Forward and the Civic Digital Fellows, about the Lincoln Network and the policy hackers, including the application process that's open right now, um, and for Tech Congress's Congressional Innovation Fellows. So, uh, Maurice, can you just give us that, that, that contact information one, one more time? Certainly. I'd encourage folks to visit techcongress.io uh, and read some of the background on uh, recent fellows and the activities that they've been involved with and get a better understanding of the timeline of recruitment that starts in the summer and then the application process that continues through the fall. Uh, and then if you're interested on more recent activities, I would suggest uh, following at, on Twitter at Congress Fellows. Um, it's really good to see uh, the fellows pop up in interesting places uh, and see their work. I'm reminded of just last month um, during a Senate Commerce Privacy hearing, uh, there was a point when there were two fellows in the background shot um, during a technology hearing. And so for me, that really showed uh, the arc of where Congress has come from, um, if we think back just not that long ago when we had the Facebook hearings. Um, and I believe that the, the level capacity of uh, technologists within Congress has definitely shifted uh, to a place where I think that we're on the right path, but we're always looking for more people who are interested in making a difference. Great. Thanks, Maurice, and thanks for being here with us today. Uh, Rachel. Yes. So we can be reached at codingitforward.com. We're also on Twitter at codingitforward. Um, I think for agencies that are interested in hiring our fellows, it's never too early to start reaching out and having that conversation so we can see what your needs are and if we can help you. Uh, in terms of the applicant side, like I mentioned, we, we did just close applications, but would highly suggest signing up for our newsletter on our website. We send out job and internship opportunities every two weeks to our subscribers in this space of uh, you know, policy and technology and, and impact. So definitely highly recommend subscribing to that as well for more opportunities. Thanks, Rachel. And thanks for being with us here today. And uh, Grace. Yeah, as Jason mentioned, applications are now open until February 28th. So you can apply for the Lincoln Network Fellowship at hackpolicy.org. And if you're interested in learning more about Lincoln and what we do, our website is joinlincoln.org. Great. Well, I'd like to thank Maurice, Grace, and Rachel for joining us today. I feel a lot better about the state of affairs and the progress that we're making now than I did coming into this and really appreciate all the work that you all, your organizations, and your, your current and future fellows are doing to, to help our country make sure that it, it can be where it needs to be. Thank our listeners for, for tuning in to Fed Talk. Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law Firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a great weekend. Mm-hmm.